Please turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 13. As I alluded and talked about in the the prayer time, life is still just going slower for me than I expected, and I I have had some some military kind of non-negotiables that I've needed to to catch up on, and so I've gone back to an old sermon again. By the way, I forgot to to ask for prayer. This will be the last time I'm doing extra extended military work for a while, but I'll have my drill and then two days. So I'll be gone for four days this week. Should be a lot less taxing than driving all the way down to South Carolina and back. But one of the things I get to do is I get to marry a soldier right in the, there's like Garden City Hotel in New York City. So I'll be, I'll be in Fort Hamilton on Friday and then at two o'clock, because I don't want to spend 90 minutes of bumper to bumper on the belt, but two o'clock I'll drive over to Garden City and hang out there for a couple hours, perform the wedding ceremony and drive back and then roll right into drill. So it's, it's a pretty cool part of being a chaplain. As far as I know, they, in fact, I'm pretty sure they're, they're not believers, but they're okay with me as a chaplain being there and talking about what marriage is. And so it's a privilege to do that and uh, grateful for that. So if you remember that this week, you can, you can pray for me as well. well we're going to go up to, to this passage, which is the, the, the farewell discourse from Mark's passage. It's some of Jesus' last recorded words to his followers. And... This is right after Jesus has entered Jerusalem. He's clashed heads with the religious leaders. He's on the way to the cross. And these are some of his last words to his people. We're going to read uh, much of this passage, much of this chapter. It's a longer passage. You can't break it up. But I want to ask you, as you read it, what, what is your response? Just think about it. Does it provoke any emotions? Does it raise any questions? Does it challenge your lifestyle the way you think right now? So let's give careful attention to God's word. Mark chapter 13, starting at verse 1, and we will go to verse 31. This is God's word. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils. You will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the ones who is in the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. Let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. 
And alas, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of creation that God created until now and never will be. If the Lord had not cut short the days, no human would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heaven will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things, these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will not pass away will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is God's word. Well, Jesus has just clashed with the teachers. He's going out to the Mount of Olives. And as he leaves the temple structures, the disciples cannot help but marvel at this temple. Verse 1, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. The temple was an impressive structure. The greatness of the temple stone, some of these blocks were as big as that have been found, 42 feet long, 11 feet high, 14 feet deep, weighing over a million pounds. That's 500 tons. Because you think, I'm, I'm six feet tall. Some of these blocks were 11 feet high, almost twice my size. It's seven times my length. They're massive. The temple was supposedly beautiful. One of the rabbis said, those who have not seen Herod's temple have not seen a beautiful building. It had gorgeous white marble columns. It was capped on the top with gold. And, and from the Mount of Olives, as you were coming over this, this smaller mountain, and you'd have this valley, and then you would see Jerusalem on the hill, and you'd see the temple, and you would see that dome dazzling, gleaming in the sunlight, set off from everything else. So the disciples are impressed with this building, and Jesus responds in chilling fashion. Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Jesus says this will be gone, all completely overturned. Now he's really talking about, hey, I'm going to be his teachings. I'm the new temple. This temple's going out. I am the new temple. But this is Jerusalem was where the temple was. We talked about how wonderful and beautiful Jerusalem was in the opening of Psalm 48, is where God dwelt with his people, and the temple was the pinnacle of Jerusalem. Jesus is now saying, I'm, I'm where you go to meet God. This is very disruptive for the disciples who love their country, who, who love the city that they go to every year. It would be like you were touring Washington, D.C., and, and you were to see the White House, the, the mall, and the monuments, and someone would say to you, these grand buildings and all that they represent, in five years they'll be leveled. Mark my word, all that will be left is scorched earth. Where do you take that? That's right. This passage here challenges what you believe. How do you, how do you look at the world? 
Do you realize? Do you live like you are in the last days, that there's a war going on between King Jesus and the spiritual forces? And are you faithfully waiting for him? Jesus commands his disciples and you to know the times and act accordingly. You can read the commands. In verse 5, he says to his disciples, see that no one leads you astray. Verse 7, do not be alarmed. Verse 9, be on your guard. Verse 11, do not be anxious. And the goal, verse 13, is the one who endures to the end may be saved. So the main point for tonight is know the times and wait for the king. Know the times and wait for the king. Realize that Jesus' death and resurrection has brought us into these last days. We're in this time of war, and it's your task to watch and be faithful no matter what comes, no matter what the opposition. And so, first of all, know the times. Right now, you are in the last days. The disciples leave Jerusalem with Jesus' words ringing in their ears, and they they have maybe a 30-minute or hour walk as they walk down Jerusalem and up to the, the Mount of Olives. And so they're trying to make sense of this, and so the inner circle comes to Jesus. Verse 4, tell us, they say, when will these things be? What will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Jesus' reply is the longest teaching passage in Mark. Mark doesn't have a lot of teaching passages, but this is the longest stretch and it's certainly the most complex. There's a lot of questions. What do you make of the abomination of desolation in verse 14? How how can Jesus list all these incredible things and then say at verse 30, truly I say to you, this generation will not come to pass until all these things have taken place. Well, I think the best way to understand this passage is that Jesus is talking about two interconnected events. Right? Our Lord is weaving his teaching back and forth in a way that clearly shows one point for the disciples. Remain faithful right now in your present suffering. But there are two events. The one is the, the temple destruction, which in, in some way looks forward to his return as judge. So first there's this temple destruction and, and death, as the judgment that's going to come with it. But that's what his disciples are asking about. What's, when is the temple that you've talked about going to be destroyed? And he gives us a clue, I believe, when he, he talks about these or these things. You, you see that in this text. He'll talk about these or these things. I believe that's when he's talking about the destruction of the temple and, and the surrounding events. And so in verses 5 through 13, Jesus describes what will happen in the coming years. Wars, false messiahs, natural disaster, perse- persecution that comes through preaching the gospel. These apply to the church at any time. I think we could say that right now. Maybe you identify more than five years ago with, with this passage. You see it happening in our world. But, but it was especially so for the disciples up to and at the destruction of Jerusalem. It's, it's, you can't underestimate the impact that Jerusalem had on the Jewish people. And in fact, until that time... Jews and Christians kind of coexisted together a little uneasily. There was persecution, but there was some blurring distinction. And, and then uh, G- following Jesus' commands to leave the city, when they saw the armies coming, Christians got out. Um, the Jews were destroyed. They remained, and there was a very hard line there in the next decade. By, the, by 80 AD, there was a very distinct decision. It had made a new Jewish nation and a new Christian nation, even those who were Jewish in descent. Uh, Christian religion. So, so in, in 66 AD, this would have been 30 years, or a little after 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, Jewish zealots, they revolted against the Roman rule. They, they you know, won the initial 
uh, offensive. They had the element of surprise that the Romans were in a civil war and their goal was to, to win the day and wait for the Messiah to come. Right? You know, we're going to win this victory and the Messiah will come and bring in peace. But no Messiah came. And that temporary victory was not enough. The Romans finished their civil war and they gathered their resources. They came in by AD 70. They built that wall around Jerusalem. Right before that, the Christians in the city left. And at that point, if you know Roman military warfare, when they build a wall around your city, no one's getting out. And after a long time, they, they concluded the siege. They destroyed the city and the temple. It's estimated that one million Jews died during that time. Devastating, right? Jesus is talking about, at least in somewhat, the, the, the temple and all these events and what's going to happen. And then he comes back to it at the end, verse 29 and 30. In 29, he says, so when you see these, these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. And truly, I say to you, this generation will not, uh, will not pass away until these things take place. And he talked about the sign of the fig tree. He's already used that as a parable for the destruction of the temple. And so when he's talking about this generation will not pass away, I believe it's best to understand that the temple being destroyed, when he talks about Jesus being near, that would be his judgment on, on the temple and, and completely showing that that's done away with. But Jesus also then talks about his return. And if you look at verses 24 through 27, it talks about the, the sun being darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars falling from heaven. Right? These, these are end times type of words. And in fact, there's another clue in those days. Right? It's talking about the final day of the Lord. You know, when we say once upon a time, kids, you, you know that there's a certain type of story that's coming. Now, when we say once upon a time, we're usually talking about a fairy tale, something that's made up. It's not necessarily true. You wouldn't expect it to be true. But when Jesus talks about in those days, he's talking about the day of the Lord that's referenced in, in the prophets. And at least one instance of the day of the Lord. And finally, he will come back when all of the, the heavenly powers are shaken. And the sun will come back when all of his power and will gather his people. That's the final judgment. So there he's talking about not, not Jerusalem, but now when everything happens at the end and history is brought to a culmination. But then he does start to blend things together, it seems. What's he talking about in verses 14 through 23? And this is where the passage is difficult and you get multiple interpretations. You, you'll have the dispensationalist interpretation that sees much of all of this in the future with a, with a new temple. They, they see the words of the tribulation and think of perhaps a final great tribulation where God's people go through a great persecution at the end times. Uh, the abomination that causes desolation. They'd say, well, that might be the Antichrist offering up a sacrifice in, in the newly restored temple at the end of the age. Some of that comes from the book of Daniel is where they would base that interpretation. Now, there are some reasons for, for seeing future events here. The abomination of desolation, while it, it may have its roots in the past, probably does look forward to some kind of, of final Antichrist. It says in those days. But it's hard to make a case that the temple is future because the, the temple that Jesus is talking about is the current temple right there. You might know of the preterist view that say, well, actually, all this has already happened. It's all in the past, maybe already happened, certainly finished by, by the time Jesus um, had talked about the destruction of the temple. And in 70 AD, the abomination of desolation was probably something historical, like when the ruler Antiochus IV, one of Alexander's fragmented, uh, one of the lines from the Alexander's general tried to force Greek society on all Jews. Bad idea. And he, he banned many Jewish practices. He actually built an altar 
on to Zeus in the temple, offered a pig on it, which understandably sparked a massive revolt. So the Jewish people considered that a partial fulfillment of the abomination of desolation Daniel talked about. And so some people would say, well, this has all happened before or during up to 70 AD. Well, that may be for some of it, but then it's really hard to make sense of what we talked about, verses 24 through 27, which really has a much larger view in mind. So how do you make sense of all of this? I think the, the best way to look at it, again, is something called prophetic foreshadowing. We've already talked about how Jesus weaves this in and out, where, where we can talk about multiple events and that there's, there's echoes through God's salvation history that are pointing to the final culmination of, of God's judgment and salvation. Sometimes, biblical prophets and, and teachings will talk about multiple events as if you're looking at one whole. And it's almost like you know, you're, you're on the bottom of the mountain and there's these, these peaks. And sometimes, depending on where you stand on the mountain, the, the analogy is that you, you can, it seems like you think you see the peak, but it's actually just a, a beginning peak. And then you, you get to that peak and you see, oh, there's a couple more. And it's hard to distinguish between one and another. And Elizabeth and I, I in, a, in a former life, uh, when we used to tandem, we haven't done that for a while for, for many reasons, but we, we would, used to tandem, we took our bike up to Pine Brook, which is a Bible conference in the Poconos. And you know, the Poconos are beautiful, but they're also kind of hilly and, and wooded. And I said, hey, dear, you know, this is, this is a, it's just a 20-mile ride. I've done this many times myself. What I neglected to tell her is that there's this, there's this beautiful ridge, and the ride goes up the ridge and down the ridge, and there's this kind of switchback that you're just going up, and, and you'll go up, and then you'll take a little break. And, okay, good. We're almost there, right? You see, just, just over the next hill, you take up, you go up, and you take a little break. And, you know, I thought there were two or three. There must have been about ten. And so, you know, we're, we're going up these, and, and you know, we're, we're definitely much more fitter than we were now, but still, you know, not exactly in, in hill climbing gear, and we're both starting to get tired. I'm just encouraging, hey, darling, we're almost there. It's, it's the next one, I promise. It's the next one, and we get up there, and it's not. And we, we bike some. All right, let's, let's dig in. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. It's next one, I promise. This, this, this is going to be it. No. And, and, of course, you know, she can't see anything front. Where she's got, she just sees my back. She, she, has, she can kind of see this way and that. So finally she said, will you just be quiet and keep pedaling? You know? And that's something of how sometimes we need to think about with God's history. We know, we know the end is coming. But instead of trying to call the next peak, this is it. This is going to be the time. Be faithful and see what happens when you get there. Right? Our Lord is talking about Jerusalem, the suffering of his followers, and that. But that gets mixed up and it looks forward to. It's kind of those little peaks to the events of his return. For instance, in, in verse 14, when he talks about the, the abomination of desolation, it seems like the destruction of the temple. But then verse 19, it seems like it's talking even bigger than, than Jerusalem and the destruction. For in those days there will be there, such tribulation has never been from the beginning of creation. So what does this mean? Well, if we're on that mountain. We're not at the bottom. We're not at the top. The end times have started. It's not over. We can say Jesus is just a blink of an eye away, both from the truth when we die, we'll, we'll go with him and we'll wait for his time, but he could be here any day. But at the same time, we just don't know what it will be like when we go over that next hill. And so we're faithful. Jesus says, be faithful in the present. So how do you apply this? Well, here's three questions. You know the time, embrace them. So three questions to get at your attitude. 
Do you live like you are in the last days? That you're, you're in that messy middle, that you're smack dab in the cosmic struggle. Right. From God's history, this battle has been going on since creation. From Adam and Eve, he talks about the war between the, the woman and the, the seed of the woman, the serpent. But since Jesus has come back, it's been blown wide open. Now it's all out war. The king will come back in all of his glory, but we don't know when. And how different this is from the reality that we're presented today. I think cracks are starting to show in, in our materialistic reality as we see that there may not be enough resources to go around. And all of a sudden we see war and famine. But, you know, it says, you know, you're born, you live for a little while, you know, you live in comfort in the American dream and then you die. And that's it. Make the most of your life. Do what you want. It's all you got. Sounds good. It's quite hollow. Kids, it, you know, it's kind of like your parents are telling you, you know, you don't have to go to school again. You don't have to eat your vegetables. You can get up and eat ice cream and cotton candy for breakfast. And it sounds good, but eventually you realize that's, that's no way to live. <laughs> your teeth will fall out, too, eventually. But um, it's hollow. And we're not just people who've come from, descended from apes and we're living a life of chance and standing on this ball of rock, rock waiting for sun death to swallow us. Right, if you're... Following the servant of the king, you're waiting for him to come back. You know where you are. You may not be able to point exactly where you are on the mountain, but you can see at least a peak and you know you are living in the last days. And so then, do you expect tribulations? I wonder if Joel Osteen has ever preached on this passage. Just, I'd be curious to go and look at his sermons. I would be surprised. Um, I, I, I don't want to pick on him unnecessarily, but I think he's, he's put himself out there and um, his, his teachings are pretty well known. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it is conspicuously absent from his teaching because Jesus teaches here that the way to follow him is for the way of suffering and difficulty and troubles. And it's not a lack of faith that brings you suffering. It's actually being faithful that will make you more, <laughs> more liable and more open to suffering. Right? This, is, this is one of the last things Jesus has to say to his sufferers, his, his disciples. And it's not, by the way, live your best life now. I, I, I went to Barnes & Nobles yesterday to give Elizabeth a Mother's Day gift. And I went, I went to the Christianity section just because I was browsing. I, I didn't recognize it. Uh, but but it, it's all about you. It's all about you. You know, how, how to be a better you. How, how to be the woman that God's unleashed you to be. And I mean, There was a lot of titles you'd say, okay, well, in some ways that... That, that may have a valid point. But there was nothing about serving a God who's called you to suffering just as our, our Lord came and suffered. And he, he talks about all the things that we, the things that we're wrestling with today. Wars, natural disasters, persecutions, trial, family strife. Jesus gives you commands to prepare you. Don't be led astray. Don't be alarmed. Don't be surprised. Be on your guard. Be ready. As Christians living the last days, you should expect difficulties, sufferings, tribulations. After all, that's what Jesus experienced. Why wouldn't we? Now, I heard uh, it was several years ago, it was when ISIS was, was sweeping through the Middle East, and I heard uh, a speech by a brother in Syria named Pastor Edward, and he talked about the difficulties of his congregation as, as they were in this war-torn country and being taken over by men who hated them and wanted them dead. In part of his speech, he said this, he was, he was preparing his people to die as a way of expanding the kingdom. He was talking of the ISIS fighters, and he said to his congregation, if these people are willing to come here and die to kill Christians, 
We should be willing to stay and die in order to advance the principles of the kingdom of heaven. Here's a brother who expects tribulation. We're in a very different place. We should be prepared to suffer. Um, You know, I, I admit I love comfort. I love convenience. And you get used to that. And all of a sudden, you maybe you find that that start to think that as you're right. You know, our, our country has changed so much in the last five years, even since I've preached this passage. And you, you think about it, just a general uh, a general lack of regard for religious liberty and freedom and free speech that that's going on. And you can just see some concerning points in, in our nation and some pushback. Um, but they're not not explicit persecution against Christianity. But you see the roadwork possibly putting put down the next couple of years or generation where, where we might have to suffer for Christ. And what, what is your attitude when you're under attack? When your rights are under attack? There's fear, anger, indignation. Now, there's a time to fight and advocate for your freedoms. Paul says to a slave, if you can gain your freedom, do so. Right? There's a place for that, but be par- prepared to suffer, to lose your rights, your property, your life. King Jesus did not die to save us from trouble, but to pull us through the death of Adam to the other side. And the Apostle Peter, who we believe was the source of Mark's gospel, later wrote this. First Peter chapter 4, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Jesus talks about both suffering and him coming back in all of his glory. So as followers of Jesus, expect suffering. And so the final question is this, will you live this week like you were in the last days? Today you'll go home and you'll finish up and you'll get ready for the next week. And for many of you, you know, starts early. Maybe you'll smack your alarm at six o'clock or whenever you get up and you roll out of bed and grab your coffee and you get on your way. You grab something to eat and you're off to work. Right. And in, in all of this, your life, your vision of life can can get really small. I need this message as far as as much as anyone else. I said, you know, this week, I just I believe the trend line is heading up for me with my recovery. But there are just some days I feel like a shell of myself and and I just focused in on me. And it's hard to see the, the king and that he's coming back. Jesus feels distant and small. This passage shows you that your life is far bigger than you realize. You're part, you're on the way up the mountain. You're following Jesus' story. And now all these little details are important. They're important because you're going somewhere. You're going to that peak. And so what is your attitude? Young people, school is not just the thing you do to get a, a job or put it on resumes because you're preparing to serve the king as you're studying so we celebrated learn and, and it's and finishing we we understand that this is a, a wonderful pursuit of, of preparing yourself in god's world it's where you develop your talents so you can be useful to your master you know adults you go off to work or take care of the kids and it's not just surviving to get to the weekend god has something important for you being faithful in the little things as you serve your master even if you don't know how he's working it out those of you who are retired, you may be just as busy, a little more flexible perhaps, but just as busy. Each day you have is a day to serve the king until he comes back with the energy that he gives you. And so this week, let us embrace the times and live in these last days. You are caught up on that scope of redemption. You are on the mountain. Be faithful. Know the times. Wait for the king.
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, which truly does ground us in your glory and your greatness. Jesus, you are unlike any other. You're certainly not just a man as you, as you teach these things. It's the final prophet. And we wait for your coming. We thank you how this chapter, this teaching gives us stability and hope no matter where we are in our world. You are sovereign. You are coming back. And so would you help us to recognize the times, to act wisely, to be faithful, to keep our head down and keep pedaling, and to yearn for your return. For we pray this in your name. Amen. In your name.